Preventing suicide is one of our society's greatest challenges. That's why the Flint Hills Volunteer Center has developed this Suicide Awareness Packed podcast. Packed stands for Prevention, Awareness, Compassion, Training. The Suicide Packed podcast will feature personal stories and professional perspectives. This podcast series is funded in part by the Kansas Health Foundation, AmeriCorps Seniors, and the Greater Manhattan Community Foundation. Our hope is to touch hearts and provide hope amidst despair. Please follow us wherever you get your podcasts and share them with those you know that are seeking help and hope. Our website and contact info is included in the show notes. Today, we're uh, excited to have with us as our special guest, uh, retired Colonel Gary LaGrange. Gary, uh, you are one of our uh, AmeriCorps senior volunteers. People know us more as the RACP program. I remember back when I first worked with you on the Help Us Learn, Give Us Hope project, and you have been so active in our community and especially focusing on veterans. And And that's what we wanted to hear about from you today is what you are doing with our veterans veteran population and how you are making a difference. Well, thank you. It's good to be here. Give us a little rundown of your background, because I know you're a Vietnam veteran and you've done some really good things since you've retired. I was born on a farm in Iowa, but then as a young young guy, my parents moved to Minnesota and I really grew up up there and on a farm. And then um, after college, I decided to go into the Army because I got a draft notice. <laughs> and then instead of uh, and going in under the draft, I decided to enlist and go to Officers Candidate School and become an officer. And at that point was when the Vietnam War, that was 1966, so the Vietnam War really began moving forward. And immediately, I was in an infantry unit headed for, for Vietnam, and uh, I spent one tour in 67, 68, another in 69, 70, and then I was in special ops in Laos for a year and a half uh, from 72, 73. So more than enough time over in that jungle. How long did you spend in the service altogether? 28 years. Thank you for your service. Appreciate that. You know, there's uh, a lot of things, and I can't imagine, and and Lori, you know, we brought uh, uh, Gary in to talk about uh, a, a number of things that he has seen. And the impact that, that some of his experiences had with the Army truly applies to the message that we're trying to do is to, to help people find hope. Uh, you know, if they are in a situation where they feel that have few options, and we want to make sure that people understand that they do. Yes. So tell us a little bit about some of the work that you did after Vietnam in the service. Well, I, I, I retired a second time from the civil service. After a while, went into a not-for-profit, uh, shipping books and school supplies to Iraq and Afghanistan, and worked with Lori very closely as a, as a volunteer, and she provided volunteers to pack um, two million books that we sent. And uh, um, I have to think back about it. It was almost 800,000 pounds of school supplies to children in Afghanistan and Iraq. Unfortunately, that stopped, and then the way things have worked out over there, we hope that some of that made a difference. Well, time will only tell. And then the second effort began when I thought I was retired for about the third or fourth time. <laughs> <laughs> My daughter is a clinical psychologist specializing in suicide and um, brain injuries, and she sees people every day that have those issues. She worked at Fort Riley for a while, and she noticed when she had individuals working in a greenhouse that there was thera- something therapeutic about that. And so she suggested to me in 2012 that we open a small farm 
Um, that's why I mentioned I grew up on a farm. Everything I learned then is obsolete today, of course. But, mm-hmm. but um, she suggested we open a small farm because she thought it might help those with post-traumatic stress, suicidal tendencies, or ideation, and, and brain injuries. And, and those with physical disabilities also. So I said, yes, we did some due diligence and found that the need for new farmers in this country is, uh, is unbelievable. The USDA needs, uh, they think we need a million new farmers in the next, next decade. And there are a pool of post 9-11 veterans, still fairly young, 1,500,000 among us, actually another 800,000 that are coming out of the service in the next few years. That's 2.3 million in a pool that of uh, potential workforce out there. The Department of Commerce pooled the million five vets and found that about 40% of them wanted to farm, which really surprised us. So all of a sudden, this little farm that my daughter had dreamed of with uh, eight or 10 clients uh, grew substantially. The Veterans Administration and U.S. Department of Agriculture urged us to think bigger. And so we did a, a small pilot to begin with to see how it would work. We kept bees, uh, 42 colonies, not very big. And it was so popular that we couldn't even meet, begin to meet the demand for folks that wanted to go through it. What was especially magic about it was that those who we worked with who had suicidal ideation or were on a suicide list, high risk, after a few months were completely off of that. They were off of medications, maybe a sleeping pill, and they were beginning to find purpose, feel better about themselves. And after about six months, they seemed to be almost totally normal. In their terms, they would say they were healed. And then our, the folks I've worked with, and I, we've put about um, about 1,500 through our course so far. And of that, I know I've worked closely with at least 200 of them that were, were pretty deep cases, um, pretty deep cases. And so all of them, every one of them working with bees, which you'd think would be a high anxiety endeavor, found, uh, found a way through that and, uh, and, and uh, found a degree of recovery. And not a single one of them have tried to take their own life. This has been over 10 years now. Uh, not a single one of them have, uh, have had significant problems in life. So there's something magic about that. Unfortunately, it's not studied well. There's not a lot of, uh, lot of evidence-based um, peer-reviewed research that would tell the psychologists and psychiatrists that the, they ought to recommend that. Well, they can recommend it, they just can't refer people to it. A lot, of our, a lot of our students come from the VA, and in the last six months of duty, active duty members can come and train with us as, as, uh, as interns. So um, at any rate, after the trial, we incorporated, decided to open up a whole farm because the uh, farming endeavor was so important to our country as well as the individuals. And beekeeping just became one of the venues. I mean, the train, the farm trains on row crops, cattle, livestock of almost all types, uh, specialty crops, forage, uh, how to how to operate equipment and take care of equipment and weld and and do all the things you need to be able to do on a farm to to succeed. Uh, to include a lot on farm economics, how to build a farm budget, how to go to a bank or to the uh, farm service agency and apply for a loan. Uh, they have to actually have to go through a drill where they convince an FSA examiner that their loan as an academic endeavor is uh, worthy, and same with the banker. So, and, and their business plan is part of that, it has to be approved. They get a pretty good education. And beekeeping, by the way, has been one of the most popular ones. They all like to uh, learn about keeping bees, almost all of them. Why do you think that is? You know, there's something mystic about it, and there's a national national push right now to save the bees. Mm-hmm. 
And there's just something something about that that seems to be mysterious, attractively mysterious to them. And uh, a lot of them know that with um, with not too many beehives, you can supplement your income on a farm by diversifying, and that's just one way to diversify. So most of the folks that we put through the program have gone to smaller farms, and uh, they'll have from 20, maybe 10 to, 10 to 50 beehives that they can take honey away from each year and make twenty or $30,000 extra to supplement their income. I didn't realize there was money in honey. Oh, yes. Yeah. There's money in beekeeping. Uh, <laughs> most money is made from pollination. Is it? It takes uh, two and a half million hives to just pollinate almonds in California each February. And they migrate from all over the country. Put them on 18 wheelers and take them to California. And for a couple of weeks of pollination, 200 bucks, 250 bucks a hive. So that's, that's pretty good money. Then you take them back to their home and they make honey for you. The second uh, largest income comes from selling bees. It's so popular right now. And so many people are starting bees that you can split beehives after almond pollination or on the East Coast, uh, oranges and grapefruits and citrus fruits. And so, and so they split the hives into two or three and they'll sell the extra bees. And that's very profitable. Um, on the average, um, 30% of the, all the beehives in the country die every year. It's, it's tough on them to move them like that. I mean, <laughs> they haven't adapted to that for very long. And there are all kinds of diseases that can, that can affect them in a little mite. So, um, so at least that many die off every year. Some of the large operations, half, lose half. But then they split them in half, split them in three times. In three ways, keep two to replace their losses and then sell one. And so there's more money in that than there is in honey, third honey. We, uh, we produce about 150 million pounds a year in this country, but we consume 650 million pounds. And it's very clear that this is really important and, and that you're very passionate about this. And you've been involved with working with veterans since you actually got out of the, out of the Army uh, with all the different projects and stuff. Um, do you have any of these soldiers come to you? Do any of them share any stories with you about their struggles with um, suicidal thoughts, mental illness, depression? Do you, do you witness yes. any of that? Yes, in fact, um, I, I personally I mentioned earlier, there's, there's probably been 200 to 250 that I've worked with personally. I mean, they're in the truck with me. and We've had some stay in, in our guest in, our, in a guest room at our house. The folks that were really having a tough time needed to have someone there with them. And uh, they all share the story with them. And, and, and uh, I came back from Vietnam a little broken myself. And, and I saw uh, it, it's, it's, it's sort of a national travesty as far as I'm concerned. 35% of that 2.3 million that I mentioned have some kind of, of disorder, uh, physical or, or mental. By far the most are those with post-traumatic stress. And it's that way after every war. It's, it, it causes a stigma. When, when I came back from Vietnam, if you mentioned that you had a, a problem like that, the Army just had you right out within two weeks. It was the VA and the community's job to absorb that. Um, and, there, and immediately, those persons who claimed they had that kind of problem were, were looked upon very negatively. It's better now. The stigma still exists out there. It's better. But, um, but they're looking for someone to share their story with, someone that understands it. In my mind's eye, it's not something of the mind or the body. It's something of the soul. It's deep. 
Mm-hmm. It's something you live with your entire life every day. Right. And that and that's one of the things uh, interesting that you, you brought this up. Um, we basically are covering a lot of what you just said on uh, on series and everyone that, that have come on and are doing a podcast with us. We are talking about the stigma and um, and, and how we can bring um, attention to that. Uh, so it's interesting you say that because we're we're seeing and, and, and like you said, we, we're starting to see uh, some improvement in it. But that's because of uh, of telling stories, and that's what this whole podcast series is about. It's about telling those stories and bringing this to the forefront, uh, so that people are more aware of of, of what things are happening. Now, each story is a little different, of course, um, but there are some common things. I mean, there are traumatic events that they've seen, uh, things that they've seen or done, participated in, watched. And for me, it was just that, participating in them. And at that time, the young man caught up in the, and, and, and there was some dehumanization of the enemy, you know, and so forth. And so, and so you were caught up in the mission. And so it's sometime later when you're away from it and you think, I grew up in a religious family. So thou shalt not kill was one of those moral things that we lived with. And all of a sudden you realize you've been engaging in that. And for me, at least, that was a tough one to get by. Still is. It still is. And 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 uh, watching things that that just are mind boggling out there. I mean, war is insane. I mean, it's an insane thing. It's where we are as human beings, unfortunately. And so, if it's insane, it's going to cause some insanity in my mind. Right. And what. We don't do enough of it, in my opinion. I'm not a psychologist. We ought to spend more time with these young men and women before they go to understand that they're going to see and participate in some rough things. They need to be aware of those things more so than spending so much time in trying to dehumanize that enemy and and all, all the, the hype that goes on before you go over to sort of justify all that. If they understood, I think if I would have understood better, what it really is by talking to some folks that have been through it, that would have helped. Yes, and, and we actually spoke with someone about that too. Is is going, but also on the return, and actually after transitioning out of, of service, being alone. You know, and, and decisions are yours now, and they're in that that tough place. That's the tough time, the transition time. So, so all of a sudden they've been in a, in a, in an environment where they're told where to go, what to do, provide the resources to get it done. And now, uh, if they have, particularly if they have these disabilities, now they're going to be out on their own. And that's just a daunting thing. One day I was riding in one of our students' trucks and I noticed that he had two handguns in the console, in the cup holders. And I picked one up and it was loaded. And he said to me, I can't tell you how many times I've driven down to the end of a road and just hold that up to my chin and said, time to go. He said, I don't know why I haven't done it. I said, well, (laughs) it's a good thing. But they need to have an outlet for one thing. It's good for them to have a mentor, someone that really cares. And then it's good for them to do something where they're going to find purpose in life. So what, what the farm training program, the beekeeping training does is provide that to them. They're all of a sudden have someone supporting them, someone that understands what they're going through, how deep it is, and then um, they can see something at the end. At the end of this, I'm going to be able to farm. I've wanted to do that all along or become a commercial beekeeper. There's a purpose in it. Uh, um, There's a lot of good programs that are so short. I I just, based on my experience, short programs are are good for just a short time. (laughs) It's got to be something you really invest yourself in with them. 
And there's got to be an outcome at the end that gives them something more than just sending them back to where they came. Yeah, I actually uh, have witnessed how you do the uh, the honey and and uh, put it in the bottles and you label it and all that. So we're very pleased to be a part of that and helping you with that. I wonder also when uh, you have them coming together to bottle the honey and label that and all that. What about that interaction uh, that they're doing? If, if we think about the soldiers that are together. Well, they'll tell you firsthand, the brotherhood, <laughs> they, they view themselves as brothers. I mean, that's the way it is. And they all understand that they've been through the same sort of sorts of things. There's an immediate communication, immediate friendship, immediate bonding that occurs because of that. And, and that's a good thing. That's probably, well, not probably, that clearly is part of the recovery process, or as they say, healing process. We have a new website coming up, and, and I've gone out and gotten interviews from some of these folks we've worked with, and they're clear. Some of them, I would have been, without this program, I would have been number 22 today, or last week, or last month. I would have been one of those that have, I just didn't want to live anymore. You used the number 22, and that's a significant number. Well, it is, and and, and it depends on who you ask, but that's the number that's that's been sort of come to the surface as the number of suicides uh, by veterans and, and active duty military folks every day, every day. So, since since we started this program, uh, there have been over almost over 80,000 have taken their own life just 10 wow. years ago. You know, that's as big as the city of Manhattan when the students are all here plus some yeah. probably. That to me is a national travesty. We haven't figured that one out yet and somehow we need to. And not all suicides are counted. And I've known several of them that have, they've taken their own life, but, but they weren't counted that way. There were persons who were at risk and, uh, and maybe the local folks, just the local coroner didn't realize all that. And so they aren't counted as a suicide. Maybe it's an accident. What's the steps that an individual needs to take in order to get acquainted with the Save Farm and possibly find uh, some hope through your organization? Well, um, uh, as we found out, social media is probably the most. Uh, all of these folks <laughs> use that thing you've got in front of you there that's really a computer disguising itself as a phone. <laughs> they use that, and we found that that's the best source. Get your word out there. Website, Facebook, and um, and they find it if you put the right words in there. But we also work with the military services and the VA so that when individuals come in, and they can they can recommend that they come to us, and most of them come through through that those sources by just getting the word out that we exist. Save Farm is an acronym. Yeah, Save is uh, actually was coined by Ron Wilson, Service Member Agricultural Vocation Education Save, and uh, and Valor is not an acronym. Valor Honey or the bee business is uh, is just that. We're, we exist because we're working with valorous individuals. People who have taken on service that's bigger than themselves, put themselves behind uh, the tasks that they have to do to accomplish a mission. And that's, that's, that's what we stand for, those valorous individuals. Gary, do you see that here, at least here in Manhattan, do you see that we're taking steps to address this um, and and hopefully uh, um, take care of what some of that stigma is, but also offer um, advice um, and where you can go to get, get help? I think so. Um, I think we're doing the best we can, but we're still seeing 22 a day yeah. <laughs> lose their life. So, so the equation hasn't been found yet. And it's unfair to be too critical because so many people are trying so hard. And the Veterans Administration, the, the military services, and, and all kinds of not-for-profit organizations and are working hard to try to stem that. But we apparently haven't found 
the successful way to stop it yet. That rate is just too high. Yes, it, it is. It shouldn't be just, I've had people say, well, they knew what they were getting into and they got in. No, they didn't. No, there's nothing dramatic about war. You can go watch Private Ryan and all those movies and they, they kind of, I don't know if glamorize, but they dramatize that and make it, make it heroic sort of thing. They don't know what they're getting into. You don't know what you're into until those first bullets start flying or you see your buddy blown in half in front of you. Those things begin to tell you that this is far more than anything I ever, <laughs> ever imagined. I don't know. Somehow we need to, in my mind, maybe address it up front more and then come together with some more comprehensive programs that will put these folks through some kind of a course that results in an end for them that, that changes their life. I mean, completely changes their life. Gives them a new way to live. Their whole reintegrate with society in a positive way and uh, in, in a career that's going to be satisfying for them. And maybe mentor. I've, I've thought all along, and I've talked with some other Vietnam vets about this too. It'd be a good idea to have, if you had some support groups with guys that are Folks that have been through this and made it through and lived a good life afterwards to show them that can be done. And I can't tell you how many times that came up during the conversations. Well, how did you make it through? Huh? How did you get by all this then? But to share with them that uh, there is a way and, and listen to them and talk with them and bond with them, that would have an awful lot of good. Yeah, and that's one of the things. Uh, we're a Kansas chapter of the Yellow Ribbon Suicide Prevention Program, and, and their big theme is it's okay to ask for help. And, sure. that, and that's something we're trying to, to get out to is, you know, don't be afraid to ask for help. And so we're, we're working on trying to address that, give them options, uh, and, and all the, the new, the 988 will be coming up soon. And, and where you can go to get that help. And one of the symptoms, obviously, is withdrawal. And to get them out to ask for that help or to discover them is important, too, before they do something to themselves. Everywhere you go on Fort Riley and, and every military piece of literature you pick up, it's always, here's the helpline. If you need help, call this. Well, there's still that stigma. I mean, it's not what it used to be. And there's this fact that you just kind of withdraw. You know, after a while, you just... Why would I want to reach out? I don't see any purpose anymore in life. So reach out for what? If I don't want to live, I don't want to live. I don't want somebody helping me. Not everybody feels that way, but boy, I know some who have, quite a few who have. At any rate, um, once we get them out there with the bees <laughs> and, and working, not, not only with bees, but just taking them through the entire process of producing honey, it's just something about it that um, it's all anecdotal. But I can tell you that I've seen enough of it to know that there's something significant behind it. We have a number of our students who I still stay in touch with quite a few of them and just keep bees because when they feel stressed, they go out and work with bees for a while and that, that works for them. Yeah. It works for them. But do you think it, it's something that gets their mind off of that and focusing more on on actually the bees because I was fascinated when I gone out to the the farm and in and, and your workshop and seeing all of that so uh, I can see where you're distracted and wanting to focus on that kind of thing absolutely I think also the the longer thing longer bit there's a, there's the uh, mentorship and the brotherhood there that of who you're working with, that's that's an important yeah. element. But and the, and the fact that there's something at the end of it, you can see the results of your labor at the end, in in something that's very sellable and something that's desirable. But I suspect it will be the same if someone studied working with cattle or doing row crops. Some difference there, nuances that are different. But but for the most part, getting outside, working with nature instead of working, you're working with th growing things instead of things 
where you're going to kill um, or maim. So uh, I'm not sure exactly what the equation is. It has to be studied. My daughter has worked with uh, K-State, KU. Uh, we were on the state suicide prevention board, both of us, for a while. And she'd like to, to do an in-depth study to figure this out, to figure out, get closer to whatever that equation is that's going to save more lives. But it doesn't even make the national um, dialogue anymore. And all these young men and women taking their own life, to me, is just a, it's just a travesty. It's been accepted by, by many. And, and, and I think that's the problematic aspect. It's just like, you know, it's a standard. You yeah. know, you hear the story, uh, 22 soldiers take their lives every day. And, and that's not looked upon as like, by, by many, I think, is like, man, that's horrific. But that's just like, wow. That's too bad. Yeah, or what can I do anyway? I mean, exactly, yeah. and there's there's a certain detachment that I think a lot of people have that haven't served in the military that uh, you know that that separates those that have served and can taking into consideration some of the experiences and some of the most god awful experiences that a human being could possibly witness and partake in. Right, and that detachment you know, kind of carries over. Yeah, it's, it's well, thank you for your service, uh, is, is um, they talk about. Thank you for your service, not very deep. Now, I mean, after a while, it gets to be old to some of these folks that are suffering particularly. It's, help me beyond that, help me. Should I, I should I say something different to Well, I don't know someone. about that. I'm not sure about that. Yeah. I, I just, uh, I appreciate it. But um, when, they're, when they're struggling, they need help, it just kind of bounces off of them because... The thought is that they just don't understand. Well, Colonel Lagrange, thank you for your service. <laughs> well, you're <laughs> but, welcome. But but mostly, thank you for the impact that you have made on literally hundreds of lives, and keeping them those soldiers from doing something that that they and many people probably that they are close to would have regretted. And, you know, when you provide your testimony and saying that, you know, we've had 200, 250 people that have come through our, our Safe Our program or, or Valor Honey, that's a, that's a strong statement yeah, of being impactful with individuals that, that are considering taking their lives. And that's the number that are actively known to be, have suicidal ideations. And there are others, too. And of the 1,500 or so that have come through, there are quite a few others that have come through with various degrees of post-traumatic stress or anxiety disorders. So it's, it's good to know that they've been helped. And I just wish we could help more. But you are making a difference, Gary, and we really appreciate that and applaud you for that. Good. Thank you. We hope you or someone you love can benefit from this series. If you need help, reach out to the many resources that are available. Many are listed in our show notes. The Flint Hills Volunteer Center's Suicide Awareness Pact podcast series is funded in part by the Kansas Health Foundation, AmeriCorps Seniors, and the Greater Manhattan Community Foundation. Please follow us wherever you get your podcasts and share them with those you know that are seeking help and hope.